Hello and welcome to the Talk Neuro to Me podcast. On today's show, Professor Carrick will be discussing chronic traumatic encephalopathy. If you would like to learn more about a clinical neuroscience approach to solving concussion in your patients, visit CarrickInstitute.com. We have had so many requests to talk about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and probably uh, since the new movie uh, Concussion has come out uh, starring Will Smith, and uh, what do we do? What are you going to tell people that ask you about CTE when they come to, to look at you? It's really important for us to realize that at the present time, the definition of chronic traumatic encephalopathy is a, a, a diagnosis or a definition that doesn't have any clinical applications. That is to say, it's based upon pathology. Now, uh, in the past, we have talked about encephalopathic syndromes or traumatic encephalopathy syndromes when individuals have had repetitive uh, traumatic uh, impact to, to the head. And there's some very good reviews uh, on this activity. Um, one review by McKee and group discussed the first uh, NINS consensus meeting to define that neuropathological criteria for the diagnoses of uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And that's published in the ACTA Neuropathological. It's a 2016 paper, so it's, it's pretty hot. And it's really good for uh, people to, uh, to, 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 to review, I think. Now, when we look at the uh, aspect of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, we really need to understand the clinical correlations in patients that have the findings that would suggest that they have CTE. And this is really going to take some time and some prospective study uh, of uh, pathological activities of people that have donated their brains and allowed people to compare the clinical presentation to the pathological uh, type of activity. Now, there's one reference that you should be pretty well aware of, and this is the work of Montenegro and a group that is published in Alzheimer's uh, Research Therapy. It's a 2014 paper that gives uh, an overview of the clinical subtypes of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It's an excellent literature review, and they give a whole load of proposals on how to uh, research and look at diagnostic criterion for traumatic encephalopathy. So that is a really good read to get. We can talk about that paper in, uh, in detail. Now, over the last decade or so, there has been a whole load of attention, very specific to understand uh, the pathological entity of traumatic, uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And people now are aware of Omalu's work. He, he's published in 2005 in neurosurgery when he looked at NFL players. And again, in 2006 in neurosurgery, he had a paper uh, again about chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And then he reported on uh, wrestlers uh, that had CTE. And he did that in the Journal of uh, Forensic Neurosciences back in 2010. And then Anne McKee has gone forward uh, with her work at the Brain Bank out of Boston, looking at chronic traumatic encephalopathy in adults 
uh, after repetitive head injury, and she really identified this uh, tauopathy. And then Amalu, you know, popped back in 2011 uh, with different phenotypes, and Anne McKee has really led the lead. So those are the people that have been instrumental in looking at research over the last uh, decade or, or so. Now, when we look at different uh, case series, uh, again, uh, Omalu and McKee are the ones to really look at, and these are pathological uh, reviews, people that have died and uh, their brains have been examined, and there's been an understanding of the microscopic features as well as the gross features that have been seen in the individual cases that give a similarity to what you see in Alzheimer's disease with the laying down of tau, uh, but without beta amyloid in the frontal cortex and the medial uh, temporal uh, gyrus. So what do we know happens with these repetitive injuries? We know that there's atrophy of brain matter, both the white and the gray, uh, that there's uh, enlargement of the third ventricles and the the temporal and frontal horns of the lateral ventricles are also enlarged. Uh, there's a loss of pigment in the locus ceruleus and of course the substantia nigra. <clears throat> now, when we look at the laying down of uh, tau, uh, it's laid down as neurofibrillary tangles and neuropil threads and they have got uh, seeming love to, to be associated with the superficial layers of the associational neocortex. They also are found along the blood vessels in the depths of the cortical sulci. Now, I talked to um, our faculty member, Bob Thatcher, today at length, and we were just having a party because we're talking about different EEG uh, signals that are generated from the, uh, from, from the cerebral cortex and from the different layers in the cerebral cortex, and he's developed a pretty amazing uh, brain bank of data that we're going to be sharing with you as things uh, as things come up. But let's get back to, to CTE and just realize that, hey, uh, CTE as described, you know, pathologically is not accepted by everybody. That is to say, around the world, there still is controversy or uh, we realize that maybe it's normal to have deposition of tau as we get older, and maybe the tau doesn't indicate uh, pathology. And, and some studies that I find very interesting by Nunamaro and Perry talk about RNA oxidization is a prominent feature of vulnerable neurons in, in Alzheimer's disease. And then the paper by Lee in uh, 2007 talked about phosphorylation of tau antagonizes uh, apoptosis by stabilizing beta uh, catenin and, and they look again at neurodegeneration. So what does this mean? It means to say that tau aggregates may even have a protective role. So who, who knows what is right? So we have a question of whether uh, this laying down of tau is really the marker that is going to tell us that people have CTE. In other words, uh, there's a lot of us that, that think that tau is the biomarker uh, for CTE after head trauma. Um, but there's some people that think that perhaps this is not the individual case. Now, when we look at neurodegenerative diseases, and again, Alzheimer's, uh, Parkinson's diseases, we're pretty familiar with this. And we've got a lot of good 
pathological information. So when you look at um, individuals that died that had a history of high athletic endeavor, either in the pros or you know high level throughout their, their life, then they of course are gonna have some neurodegeneration if they died older and their neurodegenerative diseases uh, can be associated with CTE or other neurodegenerative diseases. And, and basically what it means is that we just really don't know so much. In other words, you need a whole load of people now that there's this identification of tau to really say, hey, is it the tau or is that just something that's taken us off of, off of track? Well, when I was a, a, a younger guy, uh, the idea of being punch drunk was really super, super great. And I remember uh, the old paper in 1937, uh, Dementia uh, Pugilistica by Millsbach. And I, re I remember reading that uh, because there wasn't so much about, but you all, you, you knew uh, people that used to fight in that that were a little dopier than other people. And we'd say, you know, they were punch drunk or, or whatever. Well, uh, when we look at those boxer uh, types of activities. The presentation was such that, you know, individuals that were hit in the head over a period of time would develop uh, behavioral changes or changes in their mood. And uh, you'd have it. They're young, you know, they weren't winning, they're getting whacked in the head, and they develop these things early. And then, of course, you had the later ones that people were boxing, and they did pretty well through their life. But as they got older, uh, they started to develop these impairments of cognition and executive uh, functionality. The important parameter here is that when you look at, at individuals that have behavioral disturbances or mood disturbances after their, after their concussion, after their head activity, uh, that these people have a, oh boy, a, a predilection, I think, for impairment of executive function at some point along the, the, uh, the lifestyle. So when we look at patients that have injured their head, the question that you must ask is, is there changes in your behavior or your mood or you know, your feelings? Do you have suicidal ideations or are you a little more aggressive or other things that, that just you know, might, uh, might happen? So this at least can give you a, a type of clinical Oh, almost like a segregation of things that can occur. And here we got people calling in, and again, it's a calling, calling specifically about this individual uh, uh, case. So whatever it is, at the end of the day, we just realize that we don't have enough information to really... Uh, give some definitive answers to patients that ask like, boy, my son has three concussions. Is he going to get CTE? I watched the movie and onwards and onwards. So let's talk about the biomarkers and the diagnosis of a, uh, a traumatic encephalopathic syndrome. Well, everyone's looking for the biomarkers. Well, here's the deal. We don't have any right now. We've got candidate biomarkers. People are looking at you know, blood and CSF, um, also looking at neuroimaging very, very specifically to look at accumulated tau. And that is very excited, 
exciting to people. However, uh, what if Tau is not the is not the bad guy? We also have some uh, functional imaging looking at genetic polymorphisms uh, and onwards and onwards. And then uh, we look at biomarkers in, in our jobs looking at increased latencies of uh, visual saccades and increased latencies and anti-saccades that we see in Alzheimer's and, and that sort of uh, types of activities. So everybody is proposing diagnostic criterion that is based upon low sample sizes. So we might be wrong. That's the reality. And you have to tell patients that we really just don't know uh, yet. But what are the things that we do know or that we think might be associated clinically at the bedside, on the field, with uh, things that might be happening at the microscopic uh, level? So we know that there's neurological signs that are, are also seen uh, with uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy and in acute concussions. And specifically, uh, these are the disturbances in behavior, the changes of behavior and the uh, cognitive dysfunction and, and sometimes some motor-related uh, symptoms as well as the deposits of tau. So when we look at uh, the biggies, uh, what happens if you have executive functionality? You oftentimes will see an associated dysfunction of the cerebellum, whether it's due to diaschesis or not. Uh, who knows, but it can be due to a functional type of disconnect between the two. We can see extrapyramidal and pyramidal uh, motor signs, loss of swings of the arms, balance types of, of problems. But again, uh, we see this across the board. Is it specific for CTE? It does it differentiate. Uh, it's really up in the uh, it's up in the air. There's been some questions on PET scans and our dear colleague uh, and friend Dan Eamon has got probably the largest bank of uh, spec uh, with football players and, and of course the structural uh, MRIs and also the tractography that Richard Roven uh, talked about at last year's International Symposium of Clinical Neurology is all very, very uh, exciting. But at the end of the day, you're looking at a patient that uh, is probably young if they've had a sports injury uh, or in fairly good shape, they've had a concussion and you've got to say, hey, what is the probability that you're going to have a chronic traumatic encephalography as a consequence of, of this type of activity? So we really need to, to look at some clinical criterion that is going to say, hey, you know, this is, this is concerning. So we need to look at the literature. And when we look at the, the literature, there's some pretty good reviews specifically to sports people. Uh, and a recent one by uh, Viktorov that's published in Neuro Rehab in 2013 that gave a review of encephalopathy. And, and the review is really, really cool because it really talks about, uh, you know, boxers. And um, uh, I think about almost 100 boxers and, you know, like a handful of football players and did this review of the signs and symptoms of these boxers from 1928 to 2010. And, and again, he published this in 2013. So what did uh, Viktorov uh, find or what did he suggest? He looked at some clinical criterion that's going to tell you what the probability is of progression or the, uh, the eventuality of uh, chronic traumatic 
encephalography. So the first thing is, did you hurt your head? So if you've hurt your head, you got a check mark on the box. That's, that's not so great. The other thing that is very common to us is that individuals that hit their heads or have concussions usually get better without doing much. But the ones that have symptoms that persist, these are the ones that come to our offices. So if you've had symptoms that are longer than a couple of years, you get another check mark on there. And that's what uh, Viktorov had found. So you hurt your head, you got symptoms that are long lasting, um, and th that there isn't another underlying disease uh, that people are going to, uh, to have. Now, what about the symptoms that are the, the big check marks? Again, mood and behavioral disturbance is really, really super, as are changes in, in speech. So behavioral changes. And sometimes, um, you know, when somebody else is looking and everybody else is a jerk, uh, chances are that the jerk is the person that sees everybody else as being, as being the jerk. Now, the, the things that we can see physically uh, are uh, changes in, in uh, balance and stance or uh, ataxic types of gates, uh, breakdowns with dual tasking. That's a big one that you can check. And the inability to, to remember things or a loss of memory is also a big sign. And we've got different tests and back tests. We like the C3 logics that give us a very good uh, compilation of a whole load of things. And again, uh, changes in tongue speech articulation, these dysarthric changes. So th those are the good clinical signs. Well, my gosh, being honest, almost every person that I see that comes into me with a head injury has every box checked. So do you tell them, boy, you know, you've got the, uh, the framework here to uh, have uh, CTE in the future. I'm not that, that comfortable uh, at this period of, of time. I think there might be some different biomarkers or if we can change the biomarkers, perhaps uh, we've got a greater armamentarium. You have to remember that in all of these individual reviews, the treatment did not include treatment of a functional directed sort at the skill level uh, that most of our colleagues have that study with Carrick Institute, but especially the TBI fellows who are just super, super hot in regards to this individual, uh, you know, types of effects. So uh, the boxers, again, they give you the majority of the cases uh, and the majority of these cases and descriptions are, you know, again, from the 20s up to the present, uh, present time. So what are you going to do when you look at your patients? Well, the thing that I like to to realize is that if you've hurt your head a whole load of times, your chances of having CTE are probably greater than if you hurt your head uh, one time. If you've had symptoms that just don't go away and they last for you know, over a year or so, uh, that gives you uh, a danger zone uh, type, of, uh, type of warning. The big one again is this behavioral changes and mood changes, which could be involved with suicidal ideation or aggressiveness or anxiety or impulsivity or the loss of your filter. Uh, these things can, can really uh, bring you up to a bit of an awareness. But I also do think that if your treatment changes these parameters that people, uh, I, I would hope, uh, have a lesser chance of progressing 
uh, to chronic traumatic encephalography, uh, encephalopathy rather, and uh, and individual uh, dimensions. Now, we like to look at uh, physical biomarkers, loss of swings, abnormal abnormal effects on the D2. Now that D2, I love it. There's a whole load of different competitors, but the D2 where you tap these individual buttons gives you a tactile feedback. It's like whack-a-mole. And uh, there's a lot of data. Uh, I seem to like it better than some of the fancier stuff that's around because of that tactile aspect that you can, you know, really, you know, punch it and you get that feedback. So uh, interesting things with, with that. Okay, so what are we going to do when the patient comes in and they're saying, well, you know, what am I going to have? Are you going to shotgun and, and do all these different tests and search? The, the answer is absolutely no, because we just really don't know uh, if the person is going to have CTE or not. So you have to go with what you have and not try to search for something that's weird or bizarre that might be the elephant in the room that no one, that no one uh, actually uh, sees. We need to be able to understand the literature that is very specifically in pathology and then be able to compare the pathological data to the clinical features of individuals. And, and that is a big, big uh, push that is coming now uh, in regards to uh, people that are investigating in this individual field. So what are you going to do in regards to your patients? Well, here's the deal. Um, we, we've talked about it, repetitiveness, the long-standing activities, the emotionality, and all of that individual stuff is going to tell you that uh, you need a very good history and you need to talk to other people about the person. So you always see, if you've rounded with me, uh, that we like to have the family there. We talk to the family, we engage them, and they're going to tell you if there's been changes or, you know, you know, Bob just isn't himself anymore or, you know, he's a little moody or, you know, he snaps or sometimes you'll even see the, the patients will argue with the mom or the dad or someone else or they'll, they'll snip off or flake off on, on, uh, on an individual uh, person. So we've got the little boxes that we can, that we can check that will give us a guide for looking and following individuals and getting them to report uh, to us. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, repetitive head trauma exposure is such that if you don't play the sport, your chances are you're not going to get a head injury. So if you look at head trauma as something like a dose dependent uh, contributor to CTE, uh, taking someone out of a game forever might be the right thing. Or you might say to the patients, hey, look, you've had three concussions and uh, you've had some behavioral changes in this. You may consider not playing again. We don't know if this is going to contribute, but what we do know is that the more head injuries you have, the greater the probability uh, of uh, developing a CTS. But again, we just don't know. I tend to go to the fact that if we can clear up the biomarkers, that uh, I think they're pretty well good to go. And this may be wrong, but this is what I believe to, to, uh, to be true. Now we've got a whole load of uh, military people and civilians that have been affected with blast injuries. And they have, uh, you know, some similar types of clinical and pathological 
uh, indicators that are similar to CTE. Again, we're not going to know with these cohorts till about 20 years down the line when we can look at their brain and see what is actually going to going to happen. So we just talked for about a half an hour saying we really don't know what to say. And that's exactly the truth of the matter. We just don't know. But people are alarmed out there that all of a sudden their kid is playing middle school football is going to have CTE. We just don't know. We don't have the ability to link the biomarkers or pathological findings to uh, clinical features that could be associated with an underlying chronic traumatic encephalopathic disorder. So we need to look at the research. You need to record your clinical symptoms and really sort of do the check boxes and look at the history, uh, the, the psychiatric or the psychological uh, type of history. Uh, right now, there's a lot of really interesting studies that are looking at the relationship of whole body responses and posturography to the uh, to the psychiatric patient or to people with anxiety. So these things are really great so that even if there are changes in uh, executive or cognitive function, we might be able to grab them with the posturography. So this is, um, this is so, so exciting, I think. Just really, really great. So we need to really be careful uh, when we talk to patients and the most careful thing I can see is not to alarm people. And I have had uh, some patients very, very recently over the last month that I've seen when I'm rounding and uh, they've been scared to death by their doctor because they've been told that, you know, they've got all of the markers for chronic traumatic encephalopathy and therefore they need treatment. Uh, and this is, this is not good. Now, I really recommend that you work with uh, one of the TBI fellows in your area to, to give you some assistance with this stuff, but don't do any of the scare tactics or saying that, you know, if you've got, you know, these six check marks and, you know, you're going to get it and we need to treat you and then fix up these parameters and you're not going to get it. This is just not true. We just don't know. The only thing we do know is that there are certain biomarkers that are not cool with your uh, ability to live your life. And uh, we have certain types of therapies that we can use that have a probability of changing those. And that's all we can do. We don't know if you're going to have uh, CTE. We do know that if you live in a bubble and you never go anywhere, uh, then probably you won't get uh a CTE from a sports concussion, but you're probably not going to be too, too dynamic either. I mean, playing like what high, uh, high altitude chess or something like that. It's extreme chess, maybe get hit by a, by a pawn or something. So realistically at the end of the day, uh, don't scare people. Don't try to tell them that the biomarkers that you see are indicative of CTE. If you don't get rid of them, because that's not fair, it's not just, and, and I think it's not morally responsible. And uh, it's really a wait and see, just deal with what you can do and, and onward. So not a great topic to talk about right now, right? When we uh, think we know so much about so much and we all of a sudden get a little bit humbled. I personally think that the Tao is the culprit, but uh, it just might not be. It just might not be. Uh, so onwards and onwards. Um.
we go. Okay, well, that's it for uh, CTE and what you're going to see at the bedside. And uh, thanks for asking me to speak about this. It's, uh, it's current, it's hot, and it's a moral dilemma for us to be able to do things that are correct. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you uh, soon. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on careinstitute.com.